welcome to a candidate forum edition of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. <laughs> I'm super stoked about this candidate forum because it's my home district. It's 60. And this time we actually have to have folks separate uh, due to scheduling conflicts and some folks declined the opportunity. So that's fine. Uh, but we're no, going to thank you. Oh, well, that's okay. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to get through this episode. I'm just not. I'm punchy. Like, <laughs> it's 2020 still. It's March. Ma'am, it is the 449th day of March. Of March 2020, forever and ever. We're in the midst of our candidate forums, and things are nuts. Like, you know, the election season is heating up. Nope. Fran has been drinking her water and mine in her business. That's Go good. That's good. We've had some uh, recent rallies uh, in the city. Like yesterday, we had Leon Benjamin in town to uh, talk some fish. <laughs> to pledge allegiance to a sweaty t-shirt like i'm sorry i had to mention that because it just to a what to a what so they didn't at yesterday's rally okay so that would be saturday for those to a what? yes they didn't have a, a flag a, a physical flag so they turned around and saw this dude who was in a usa american flag t-shirt and they pledged allegiance Goodbye. to it Okay. Yeah, we're gonna go. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Okay. Oh, anyway, Fran, would you would you take it from here for a second and get our guest introduced? Yeah, cause I we I don't even know where we are right now. That's what we're doing. That's Richmond. Okay. You know what? We're just gonna Richmond. You know what time it is. You know, uh, Flint still has dirty. No, <laughs> we can't even have a show today. We're just done. We're just clear. It's all. Siri said it's clear and it's 82 degrees. Y'all need to get it together. I, it's, I can't. Thank oh, you, my Siri. God. Yes. Thanks, Siri, for getting us back on track. I tell you. Whew. No, thank you. I'm telling you. It's a mess. I'm telling you. Richmond, Richmond has been on has been on some new some new stuff recently. So that's why we definitely need all of these forms so we can meet all of these new, exciting, energizing candidates. And so that's what we're here today to talk about, 6th District. And we have a repeat guest, even though he has never been on before as a candidate. Yeah. You're probably pretty close to your, your green jacket. You're that's probably close to a green, green jacket like guy, yeah. too. It's the Richmond Open yeah. of podcasts. Like SNL, when yeah. you've been on there three times, you get a jacket, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're pretty close. I think you're pretty close to a jacket, man, because you've been on here several times. But we're happy to have you. Please, as always, introduce yourself and tell us what office that you would have your local constituents vote for you on the next election day in November? Sure. Uh, my name is Alan Charles Chipman. I was uh, raised in Baltimore. My parents were pastors and community organizers. Uh, I kind of was baptized into the work when I was about six years old, which might be something you all didn't know yet. Uh, and uh, really just really saw that when your community really could use your skill set or you see a need in your community and your community asks you to lead. Um, as one of my mentors say, you should never run for anything unless somebody's asked you. So people within the 6th District asked me uh, to run for 6th District City Council, and I'm glad to uh, represent them. All right. So, of course, welcome back. Um, but, in a, but in a new... In a new way. In a, in a new way. surprising way. Actually, it's really Brand surprising. new way. I'm 
not super shocked, you know, that you're- As Luna said, back again for the first time. There you go. <laughs> okay. So what, we kind of heard a little, you know, sneak peek of what did you run, mm -hmm. which is very interesting because, and I, I think it's important. I think you should talk a little bit about that because that is not something that we hear in Richmond. And I like that. And I wish we heard more of it, right? Yeah. People, well, I feel like we're almost, sliding close into a 2016 where everybody and their mama's cousin baby's uncle's puppy is running for something right? right and it's a lot of people and i love it right i love that lots and lots of people run and step up and say i want to do this da, da, da. i also believe in being strategic about a race too but that's another comment <laughs> but i think it's always important when candidates who are really about the work make it a point to say hey i'm not a candidate because i'm trying to do xyz or you know da, da, da. i was tapped and asked to and that's always an interesting story so say some more about that we'd like to hear about that yeah for sure i'm definitely not here for a resume i'm here for the residents and i think uh as i've been doing my work so in my i guess my day job or whatever i'm a, I'm a community organizer uh work at a trust building organization. And as I was beginning to do work with um, like our friends at Camp Cafe who were uh, displaced and uh, been experiencing homelessness and really just a city system that didn't really, wasn't able to keep up with the needs that they had as I was meeting with seniors. I just was with a senior the other day who was uh, invited me over because she had a letter she was too afraid to open. And she feared that it was an eviction letter. And so we went over there and opened it. And unfortunately it was an eviction letter. But even worse than that, her house had already been sold from underneath her uh, to a developer and an LLC who probably can get a rehab from the city for displacing this older woman, right? Uh, and so really seeing, and then of course, I mean, spoiler alert, I said uh, no thank you to the Navy Hill deal. But uh, as I was being able to see uh, a lot of the just policy procedures and study how it worked in other cities, and part of also understanding is not just planning for if something fails, but also understanding the um, negative aspects that can come with the success of something. So even when we talk about an abatement program, but there's a displacement and uh, housing prices have risen 56% from 2000 to 2016 and seeing the cost burdened um, households increasing by 9% as well. Just from my skill set from used to work in insurance and risk management, my work as an auditor, and then most importantly, uh, the people feeling that uh, they're uh, the incumbent did not represent their priorities anymore and saying that we really uh, are looking for someone who has a skill set to be able to listen, um, think a little bit differently and be innovative. And so that's really why um, I'm running. The 6th District is actually really diverse. Uh, it's north side, downtown and south side. I like, so, to call it, I like to call it the Neapolitan District, you know, like the ice cream. The ice you cream. got like strawberry, you know, vanilla chocolate. It's like you got north side, a little bit of, you know, downtown, a little bit of south side. So that's, that's cute. It is cute. And there's, <laughs> it's really, they're really different communities and they all have wide ranging needs. Mm -hmm. So why are you the better choice than the incumbent to represent all of that large swath of different folks? Oh, right. I think I've had in my in my work, um, I've had a lot of experience uh, with each of those uh, factors uh, of the city uh, as well. And then again, part of it is just uh, skill set and a difference in how things would be executed. So, for example, I shared a little bit about what might be good for one side of, the, of, of town if you're not really strategic and really thinking out 
what the disparate impact of this might be on another side of town, especially when it's so diverse. I mean, we also have, you know, one of the lowest life expectancies uh, in the city, but also some of the more valuable, uh, you know, uh, revenues that are coming from the city as well. So we, when you talk about Richmond versus RBA, the sixth district is a very clear place where that kind of plays out. And so uh, why, and that's why one of the ideas that I'm wanting to bring the equity assessment index uh, would bring a type of rubric and decision-making process, you know, out of, you know, kind of like in my risk management hat on, of saying if we make a, a decision for, for this side of the city or this, this constituent of the city, how will that have a disparate impact on some of our historically marginalized communities? Uh, and so having the skill set to be able to say, when you're working with different things and different shifting pieces, being able to have a skill set and a training, you know, I, I, I was in risk management about a decade, uh, of being able to understand and also building the relationships with institutions and understanding that you don't have to pit one side of the city versus another. Just understand, you know, I'm not saying we don't need any development. I'm saying equitable development, development without displacement. That's going to change the type of incentives we use so that we're not just leaving someone who has an idea to improve their community, uh, punishing them because they have an idea about development, but it's just saying and having boundaries and saying, uh, we can, we can uh, rise together, but we, we are not here to prosper at the expense of another uh, part of the city due to just we've, uh, the history of our, our city. Because Neapolitan mm -hmm. district is so very diverse, I think, that probably it can make pinpointing what problems probably need to be fixed first or priorities that us a district may have a little bit different than some of our other districts um, have because of geographics and your diverse constituent base. You've also got different even business bases uh, mm -hmm. in your district. You've got a booming north side business district and then that's very different from downtown. Right. That's you know, one business district benefits from a certain type of investment, whereas another might not at all. So what have you identified might be priorities for you that you want to work on or see be fixed in the six, whether it's in the whole six, or maybe you have different uh, things for different areas because the areas are so different. Right. So I think um, number one, and I'll, I'll borrow this from my friend Tavares, who's running the second, shout out to him. But he said, it's not enough that we become a city of the future. We have to be a city where people can exist in the future. So uh, whether from, you know, Objective 14, the Richmond 300 projects to just the realities that we're seeing, uh, we have a low income housing crisis that is um, going on within our city. And so the uh, incentives that, and a lot of that, you know, unfortunately, it's been a case where the city has played both the arsonist and the firefighter, where you kind of fund a program that creates a problem, then you go on the back end and say, uh, well, let's fund the type of you know, housing that causes this type of displacement and limits uh, the ability for people to onboard into housing, and then on the back end, add affordable housing trust fund. And so I think uh, it's important that we use the right type of, of incentives and have the ability to see uh, what works and what doesn't. And then we also have to be smart about so we talk about businesses, uh, what are the type of incentives that actually are going to draw businesses here? And I think Navy Hill was a good process of that. So I'll use an example, right? We talk about CoStar versus saying we need a $612 million Coliseum or CoStar says they're not going to come. But, you know, when we became, a, as soon as it became an opportunity zone and you had businesses who were there talking about, hey, we want to take, we want to be here at least 10, I think 10, 10 years at least in order to get the full capital gains uh, income for that 
that was something that was happening at the state or federal level. So that really wasn't a, 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 a case where we had to give up 80 blocks of our revenue to attract certain people from coming because we just saw in the paper two weeks ago, CoStar decided to stay anyway because of what the actual incentive is. And so in a, in a city that is, you know, 30% of our land isn't taxable, whether that's because of VCU, whether that's because of we're a capital city, uh, we have a very small amount in, in, in a city of competing priorities about what type of incentives we need to use. So we need to make sure we're actually using the incentives that are effective in drawing people here so that we're not unnecessarily stacking incentives because we could take that incentive that we would have given up and, and, and use it for helping to, uh, you know, I know version 300 program talks about helping uh, some of our historical businesses be able to stay in place in the midst of a lot of development, right? So again, planning and saying, okay, this good thing will happen, but this may also cause a negative effect. Let's make sure the incentives and what, how we're using the city coffers is allowing the different types of development and how they affect each other to be able to prosper simultaneously. Uh, and if we have to absolutely make a cut, making sure that our most vulnerable citizens are not, not the ones on the chopping block. And then of course, using best practices. I mean, when you look at the VCU Cure Estate studies for the abatements, we also have an industrial side as well that we also need to revamp. But when you look at the, you know, Cure study, you know, the abatements programs is kind of like off the roof, but then you just kind of see like the baby hunt for <laughs> the industrial feedback for that. So at some point we have to say, okay, well, this is obviously a side that could warrant development. Some of that might be changing how we zone. And that's another thing about the incentives of the Navy Hill program. Say like, we've never seen so much interest We've never proposed, what if we changed the zoning of how we, we did this? And so if we're still based on a very old Euclidean zoning versus a more form-based uh, approach, those are just the way that we posture and make ourselves uh, more conducive to what the vision of developers might be. Well, of course, with, with limits of we're not gonna displace people, there's, it's amazing the type of energy we can uh, generate going forward. Alan, how have the history of Richmond and the current civil movements that we have going on uh, oh, influenced your platform and policy changes that you might want to put forth if you're elected? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this also ties into my history in a, in a peace building organization with a global perspective as well, uh, to understand the role of policing uh, historically. And also, for example, when we're talking about banning tear gas and kinetic impulse projectiles, such as rubber bullets, uh, and all these other types of things. When we see things such as tear gas actually banned by the United Nations and other treaties and saying that these are not things that are acceptable to use on who we would deem our enemies, why in the world are we using them on our residents? And then also understanding, as Dr. King said, about the profit motive that as long as we are a thing-oriented society instead of a people-oriented society, and the profit motive is the core uh, motivation of a society, then the evils of militarism, capitalism, and racism will never be eradicated. And so understanding the financial mechanisms also that uphold policing. So one of the big things that I'm concerned about, and a lot of people within communities are concerned about as well, are things such as civil asset forfeiture, where it really allows police to shake down people and, and you know, people from, and across the political spectrum from even Justice Clarence Thomas, Justin, uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, uh, Eric Holder from to your Rand Pauls across the spectrum, people are saying these are consistent fourth and fifth uh, amendment violations that disproportionately affect uh, African Americans and our um, Latinx neighbors. But we have five civil asset forfeiture funds here in Richmond. And not only that, per the Commonwealth's attorneys, <laughs> They, they also, she gets a kickback of to pay for her office furniture and computer equipment. And that's who's supposed to be giving accountability over police. 
So as my dad said, you know, people don't do what you expect, they do what you inspect. And for too long, police have gone without accountability. And my dad also said the most dangerous person or entity on earth is the person or entity that does not have to answer to anyone. And huh. this is long before this year. We can talk about Marcus David Peters. You can go back to 2002 with Jody Blackwell, our current chief of staff, who murdered uh, Jeremy Gilliam, uh, a black Air Force veteran who didn't fit the description, uh, didn't have prints on the gun. The gun was found way, way, uh, feet, seven feet away from him. The family was told he was no longer with the police department, but a couple months ago, they turned on the TV and the mayor has made this person the interim chief. And so at what point, and this is a lot of the types of advocacy that I've been doing during the general assembly session, the special session as well, there's several things on the, on the statewide level that we're advocating for as well. But time is long past where uh, there needs to be uh, accountability and power given to the people, such as subpoena power, so that when we have an example of May 30th, when a police officer runs through a median of protesters and there's no investigation, we don't know if this person is, you know, went home, went back out on the street and did these types of things, that there's no accountability. When you have clergy, when you have protesters having a teach-in in front of City Hall and they're tear gas, you have members of the press tackled, right? Again, if we are not holding people accountable, then you are complicit in their future bad activity. And so that's why supporting the Independent Community Oversight Board for police, wanting to get the incentive of discrimination out of our policing by forming civil asset forfeiture, wanting the markets alert to make sure and making sure, and we have to make sure these things are fully funded as well. Uh, I was there with, uh, I was able to talk with Richmond Public Schools in a town hall and were, were able to talk with some children who were when they wanted SROs out of schools and saying that that didn't represent safety to us. One of my favorite quotes is a quote that says, true genius isn't the answer to all questions, but the question to all answers. And we have seen that police have been presented as the answer to community violence, the answer to mental health, the answer to substance abuse. And we have so many community members from Substance Abuse Addiction and Recovery Alliance to uh, RVA League for Safer Streets, so Youth Peace Education Center, so many of our community members that have solutions that can be different, but we have to move both responsibilities and resources from police. It's just like starting a company. If someone says, hey, I'm going to make a spinoff company, or, or if, you're, if you're a pastor, someone wants to have a church plant, right? You can't say, well, best of luck to you. you. You're responsible for this now. But if you're not giving resources to be able to build out that model, you're not going to have the same effect. And it's funny because one of the core arguments of capitalism is competition is what is needed for the improved quality and service of goods. But if we are not allowed to to fund an alternative model to police being the answer to everything, then we're not doing ourselves a favor. That's always been the my argument for trying to figure out the logic behind people saying, well, I just don't think we should take money away from the police because they're the first responders and they have to do X, Y, Z. And I was like, don't you think that's a little weird that they're the people that are responsible for responding to all of these things? Is there a college? I, I have to go to college and get a degree. Mm-hmm. to be able to treat you for uh, lots of things, right? It doesn't even have to be that. You have to go to college to get a degree to do a lot of things. There's a lot of things you don't have to go to college to do either. But a lot of these things, in order to be able to treat someone in the midst of a mental health crisis, there are degrees and certifications involved, okay? I mean, how many times, how many times do you have to go to school to do all these different things? Yeah, and... And, and then just the model of it, right? Trauma plus trauma is not going to equal healing, right? 
adding trauma, no. adding adding guns, and the, and the, what that does to the to brain. Even you know, my my dad wrote a book around neuroplasticity, and even seeing how your the logical side of your brain shuts down as you are threatened. That's not yes. de-escalation, right? No, uh, it's uh, fight or flight. Right, and so it's like the problem with uh, trusting police to reimagine public safety is that we don't trust their imagination. This is the same entity that, what, what was it? Over 80, I'll be generous, over 80% of the stops for curfews and other things such as that were African-American, right? So we, we, we can't pretend that this, the imagination of this system isn't formed by racism. Uh, and, and so, we have to have different uh, models for that. And I was with uh, Pastor Hodge and the, and the uh, organizers from Risk when, when they were presenting to the mayor and saying, before we had all of these shootings, saying like, look, we need to look into group violence intervention. This is one of the programs that has had success in other areas. And they were talking to him about this in February, right? And saying, oh, we have time. And you know, with Pastor Hodge saying, you know, not all of our communities have this time. And seeing the shootings we've seen in Wickham, seeing the, the shootings we saw on, on Grace, and right up the street from me was the, 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 the family member who uh, got killed and now her, her children are without a mother. We need leadership that can be proactive and not just reactive because uh, our constituents can't afford, not everyone has the luxury of that time. We, we can talk about RBA and versus Richmond, but understand that not everybody has that time. And it's not enough to tear down a Confederate statue if our constituents are still living under Confederate outcome. So this- I wish you could see friends right now. Friends having a moment of praise. It, it doesn't matter if we are painting, and, and, and this is love to the artists, this is nothing against the artists, but if we're painting Black Lives Matter over the same streets that we evict these Black families onto, that is not the type of leadership that we need. Uh, and so we have to bring a reality of equity, which is why when I'm talking about bringing this equity assessment index, we have to change the pattern of how we react and respond to when racism shows its head in our city. We are, we are good at the, I can give you the after effect, the Jeremy Hoffman study about red line neighborhoods and, and, and heat indexes, indexes, Stephen Wolf study that says if you can make it from Gilpin Court to Westover Hills, you can add 20 years to your life expectancy. We have a lot of this kind of after the effect, but we have to be proactive. If I throw you in a shark tank and I tell you equity is printing out a report on how many shark bites you got, that's not going to feel very effective. So like, look, having an equity, you know, board and paying somebody $250,000 to tell us how racist we are, isn't the type of proactive leadership that we need. And we see constantly that our constituents are living in the after effects and the impacts of that. And that is why people have been asking me to run. They don't got to pay nobody. They just come <laughs> ask me. I'll tell you for free. Okay, <laughs> for sure. Pay nobody. And, I'll tell you. And, and, you know, and we see how much, what $250,000 can do right now, right? There are people who, like the, like the senior that I'm, that I'm trying, to, trying to help right now and connect with services, uh, you know, being able to pay to help prevent someone from being evicted, you know, that we can help people survive some of these Confederate outcomes that persist in our city versus continuing to do these types of studies. It was the same, you know, the same thing with Navy Hill, right? When we paid $500,000 for contractors out of Chicago who weren't, who did everything except tell us the very same practices, best practices that come out of their city, such as, you know, reserving for inflation to avoid a, an, an eroding tax base, uh, having a confirmatory uh, uh, provision, 
uh, seeing how it affects schools. And, and, you know, these are things that came from their same city, but we had a volunteer commission, right? And 30 minutes of questioning from Stephanie Lynch and Chris Hilbert. And after 30 minutes, their projections got cut in half. And so, you know, it's not gonna last 30 minutes, it's not gonna last 30 years. But the, the point is, we have volunteer people that could have saved our city $500,000. Because when we're now saying, you know, can we, you know, we had to cut the budget because of COVID to the eviction diversion process and the affordable housing trust fund. Wouldn't it be nice to have that $500,000 to say, hey, you know what, let's go ahead and just appropriate that to make sure that our people can survive a global economic crisis, right? Um, and a health crisis that is, that is mitigated by people having a place to shelter in place. But if you don't have shelter, you can't shelter in place. So, so I'm a son of a preacher, so you know I can get going. But I think it's just a difference. It's a difference in, in leadership and strategy and understanding that not everyone has the luxury of time. You know, rest in peace. Most Chad of Richmond doesn't. Just lost them. Yeah, right, right. Most mm -hmm. of Richmond doesn't. Well, that's actually a, a good place to wrap it. But before we go, let's make sure that if there's any other message that we didn't cover that you have, you can quickly, you know, shoot that out if you want to, if you have a couple of last words before we wrap and then let folks know how to reach you. Sure, absolutely. So um, first of all, you can reach me at chipmanforrichmond at gmail.com or you can call me at 804-638-1889. Um, my name is Alan Charles Chipman and I am, I am running again to, to, to return uh, the priorities of the people um, uh, to the sixth district and turn their priorities into policy uh, for too long, whether it is the violence in our city, uh, the displacement, seeing what's been happening with our, and even, you know, I also want to make sure we lift up and not forget about our residents uh, who are incarcerated as well. We see there's a COVID outbreak that's been happening uh, and making sure that every, every constituent matters. And this isn't an all lives matter type thing. Don't get it twisted. But we're, it's talking about leadership that can recognize that this city and its Confederate outcomes gives one experience to uh, Richmonders and another one. And so it's about ending that. It's about being proactive uh, in uh, our solutions and being, um, making sure that uh, the people who have the solutions get a public servant, not a celebrity politician, not an omniscient person who believes they know everything but has the skill set, the experience of bringing people together, understanding their issues, and being able to turn that into policy. And that is uh, the reason why I'm running, but most importantly, because the people of the 6th District asked me to. Uh, you can find out more about my campaign at Chipman2020.com uh, or uh, email me at ChipmanForRichmond at gmail.com, and I look forward to representing you all. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. you. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, good luck in your race. Thank and you. we'll be watching. We are joined this time for our 6th District Radio Candidates Forum. Well, actually, I'd like the incumbent for Richmond City Council to introduce herself. Ma'am, would you tell us who you are? Yes, and more than pleasure to do so. I'm Ellen Robertson. I am the 6th District City Council person. Uh, I have been serving on City Council since a special election in 2003 and have had six successful re-elections and um, have a long history 
of getting some really working collectively with the citizens, the different council members, and the city administration, and more specifically, the citizens and their leadership and guidance and getting a lot of things done in the, in the district, which I'm more than happy to share. Yes, I was going to ask, what do, you, what do you think your major accomplishments are in your time in office? Well, you know, there have been many accomplishments over the period of time that we've been, uh, that I've been serving on city council. Uh, we've done a lot to do a lot of redevelopment in our communities, removing a lot of blighted old houses and old apartment buildings and so forth that were certainly not happable to live in and did some major renovation of those in, in the communities of Barton Heights, Holland Park, Southside, and I won't even speak of the major development that has taken place in Manchester and how that community has been absolutely transformed, as well as in downtown Richmond and all of the new residents that we have that have moved into the city. A lot of those, uh, most of that action has taken place, I've seen happen. Uh, the growth in the population in those communities since I've been on city council. You know, and I've, I've led the charge, I always have led the charge about looking at equity and equality in our policies and getting things done from that perspective, making sure we aren't leaving anyone out. Uh, so one of the first initiatives that I pushed very strongly when I came on city council was to deal with the just the general public safety that we have in our communities. Um, I know people are talking a lot about police uh, and those kinds of things today. And one of the challenges that we faced uh, when I first came on council was that there were lots of just what I call open air drug markets, where there were a lot of street dealing of drugs and so forth that were leading to lots of crime. Uh, at that time, our homicide rate was 125, I think we would call the capital city of murder at that time. And so we were, I was successful in bringing in a chief of police from another state, uh, we won't say where, and um, that introduced Richmond to community policing. And out of that, it brought about a lot of community engagement. And also one of the things that we don't have at the present time that I would like to see be restored is our uh, second responders. A lot of the questions that we have now about mental health and is the police the right one persons to call, you know, the second responder team was designed to address that. And a lot of that came out of uh, the community policing initiative. But I guess if I have to say, what am I best known for in the city of Richmond, it would have to be affordable housing. Everybody knows me as affordable housing. And we've done a lot of great things with affordable housing. And because of that, a lot of other good things have happened. You know, we have the affordable housing trust fund, still have not invested the kind of money that we need to invest in that. But there's a whole lot more conversation going on about affordable housing, and I'm extremely encouraged that we'll hit that $10 million threshold baseline mark, uh, level of funding that we've always had as a driving uh, benchmark for the affordable housing initiative. I'm, I'm confident that with all of the conversation and with all the interest and what we've experienced lately, we're going to get there. Uh, we've done, uh, in addition to that, we have reprogrammed the abatement program so that everybody's got to do affordable housing now. So we we'll only do abatement if it's affordable housing. And any development that comes to us that are doing housing has to have 
that 20, 30% of affordable housing as a part of their development deal. So some major policy changes have been done in the process. And I'm pleased that we I've been able to patron those papers, but also all of those papers have received, all of those legislation have received full support of the council. So it speaks volume to the to the city and where the city wants to see going. And then in addition to that, we, we were able to get a homeless plan done and adopted by council. Again, full support of the entire body, uh, as well as we will be receiving in the very, very short future, maybe less than 30 days, a detailed strategic housing plan for the city of Richmond. So I'm extremely pleased with the progress that have been made Certainly we are not there and we're looking forward to additional ways of getting there. And uh, as you very well know, I patroned the legislation a long time ago, uh, back as far as 2011. And it took us two years, 2013, before we adopted the Anti-Poverty Commission, which we refer to now as the Community Wealth Building Office, that now has as many as 30 34 full-time employees. We get a grant every year of almost $2 million for our workforce staff, which is about 13 uh, full-time employees that deals nothing but with workforce. And we've got like about 34, 35 uh, certified businesses that are working with us that pays living wages. So equity, equal opportunity, fair housing, community policing, community engagement, lots of the agenda items that are going on today. Those are some of the things that I have pushed and patroned uh, throughout my tenure on city council. And I'm excited about where we're going with the level of muscle and energy that's behind those subjects right now. We're going great places. Well, you mentioned equity and policy when you were talking. And what does that look like to you for the future of Richmond in your next term? Um, because, you know, Richmond's going through a lot right now. We've got social movements going on. How does that affect your equity lens and what are your plans? So, you know, last year, I mean, this year, in the spring of the year, um, I introduced the legislation, Dr. Newbill patron that legislation with me. And we've been working extremely close together on looking at uh, putting an equity policy in place for the city of Richmond. And that will cover all of the departments of, of the city. And what that means is that, first of all, you know, there's a big difference between equity and equal. Okay. Uh, right, yeah. Because, you know, we are not equal, that's for sure. And, but if we have been doing things in an equitable way, then we would be equal. And so when we look at the distrib distribution of revenues, when we look at where resources are invested, when we look at it from an equity place. So I like this little um, clip art that we use where you have these three little kids and they're standing behind a fence looking at a looking over at a baseball game, obviously neither one of them were able to go into the stadium or whatever for the game, right? So they're standing on boxes. So the tallest guy is only standing on one box because he can see over the fence with that. The next one is standing like on two boxes or three boxes so that that person can see over the box. And the third person has got like four or five boxes that they have to stand on. And it's such a great model of what is equity. So if you've got a population that you want to achieve and you expect the same of this population um, that may not have the same educational level, 
that may not have the same wealth in their family, may not have the means to be able to pay to go inside to the baseball game, okay? That person needs more investment in them in order for them to be able to capitalize and to advance and become that sustainable citizen that we want all people to do. However, when their parents or whatever pay their real estate taxes, they pay that dollar and 20 cents per hundred, regardless, what, whatever their economic status is. When they go in the grocery store to buy groceries, they, say they pay the same percentage of meal tax that everyone else does. So there's a lot of inequity in our policies as it relates to where one family may be versus the other. And it, co- it crosses the board. It crosses whether it's in... Uh, housing, whether it's in land use policies, whether it's in taxation, uh, whether it's in social services, and whether or not it's in policing. I mean, it covers all of those bases. And so putting an equity lens on, then we will be able to make sure we put the right number of boxes underneath so everyone can see over the fence. And that means the right level of resources based on those needs. The 6th District is one that's very different. I mean, the face of the 6th District is also changing. I think uh, Alan yesterday called it the Neapolitan District because it encompasses so many different things. You've got a little bit of slither of north side, a little slither of south side, and a little slither of downtown. You know, what challenges uh, have you kind of tried to tackle as you've been seated as city council person across your district? And what do you see... Uh, as challenges that you choose to, or that you're going to try to conquer if you're reelected, that kind of encompass that changing face of the 6th District? So yeah, we're fortunate in the 6th District to have a really diverse and inclusive community in many ways, and in certain sectors of the community, very excluded as well. Uh, So we get a nice uh, mix of different populations, different type of business. We The 6th District is the center of our government center. So all of the downtown area from 14th Street up to 2nd Street um, is in the the 6th District. And so that goes from, you know, the Jackson, part of Jackson Ward, all of the convention uh, district uh, that we desperately need to go through a redevelopment strategy for that. Uh, so downtown is the mega center, government center and business center for, for the city of Richmond. And so most of all of the state policies, the capital is in the 6th district as well. The larger corporations that are in the city of Richmond are in the 6th district as well. Uh, so we have a lot of uh, larger anchors, economic anchors uh, in the 6th district. Uh, Altria is in the 6th District downtown. And so as we look at what's happening in downtown, downtown really needs to be the driving economic resource center for the city of Richmond. And we haven't quite got there. We had made a lot of progress uh, in the last six months. A lot of that has been, has really been damaged in the process of uh, the destruction that has been done to a lot of the businesses when I ride down Broad Street now is, is very painful to ride through downtown Richmond and see so many bu- build, buildings and businesses boarded up. 
And, and that's, that is having and going to continue to have significant impact on our economic strength and rebuilding our downtown core. But one of the things that our downtown core has not had, even when it was thriving with the multiple of businesses and hotels that we have downtown, and we are the center of attraction for the visitors in uh, industry, that comes into this metropolitan area, it feeds off of what Richmond has in this downtown. So the opportunity to redevelop the paved parking lots that are on the north side of Broad Street is certainly a high priority on my agenda of things that we need to do to really bring that vitality back into downtown Richmond. And we want to see, as I always, and I've always said, and the policy that we've already passed that affordable housing will be a part of that. So there will be more housing, living in downtown. We want the social the services for childcare and those things to be incorporated in the opportunity. We do need uh, a hotel downtown. Uh, and so a lot of those economic development opportunities and redevelopment of the downtown business quarter that is now too much of it is boarded up almost, I would say, 60, 75% of it. And so that's a major component of rebuilding that, but not only Broad Street and North of Broad, but Chaco Bottom and all of that uh, retail business district that we have in downtown. In our neighborhoods, we are experiencing tremendous uh, increase in property values and, and also a, a disproportionate share of folk that don't feel like they can live in the city of Richmond anymore and they're not an ample supply of affordable housing for people to live in. And my, my feeling is that, you know, if I pay you X number of dollars an hour, then it should yield enough money that you should not have to pay more than 30% of your income to have a decent place to live not just a place to live, but a decent quality place to live. And so that's the reason why I have always fought for affordable housing, continue to fight for affordable housing. It will always be a high priority on my agenda. And I believe that it's time that we put some other initiatives in place. Uh, I've asked for us to do a very critical review of our tax sales uh, of properties and whether or not we can even look at the opportunity that tax sales will be aligned with the opportunity for us to build more affordable housing as well as we go through this, this stage of significant property increase in values and so forth. And many families feeling like they're fenced out. But I think that there's opportunity that we've got to do a different style of housing as well. You know, we've got to do more uh, multifamily. We've got to do co-housing um, and give more diversity of housing choices so that we can meet that demand. Um, the river, large part of the river is in the, in the sixth district. Uh, parks is extremely important. Uh, we put in a bike trail that is part of the East Coast connector that connects the uh, East Coast connector from Boston to Florida. Uh, we're one of the few neighborhoods that have a really good bicycle pedestrian trail uh, that is a part of that connection that's going right through the center of our neighborhood. Uh, so we care about the environment. We care about parks and green spaces and have those things uh, incorporated in our development. And we continue to do that. Uh, we've done a lot of renovation of our schools. We built a new MLK school. We built um, 
Under my leadership, we built uh, the preschool at MLK. We completely renovated um, Overby Shepherd, and we built Belmedo Grove Elementary School. And all of those developments have taken place since I've been on city council, and I fought very hard to make sure that they were of the first priority of schools that got built. And we still have a long ways to go in building schools in the city of Richmond, but we've done a great job in the 6th District of making sure that our schools, the schools that are located within the 6th District, they either have been built new or completely renovated. And we will continue to work on supporting building out all of the infrastructure in the city of Richmond as we move forward. You know, the Poverty Initiative is doing a great job. Uh, we are steadily every year increasing the number of people that we are getting gainfully employed on sustainable incomes. We have about 38 companies I mentioned earlier that are certified with the city to pay living wages. And which is great for our uh, residents that come through our Office of Community Wealth Building. Um, career development centers that are located in every one of our high schools are doing a great job in preparing our young people to have dual enrollment with our secondary, like J. Sargent Reynolds and so forth. We're working on increasing those numbers. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of activity that's going on in the district. Uh, we are looking very seriously at Eastview at the present time. Eastview is a historic uh, African-American single-family community that was built during the time when mortgage companies in the state of Virginia would not make a loan to African-Americans. Uh, I think that's a historic significance that we need to go in there and preserve those um, nice homes that African-Americans built, which was a suburban area to the city of Richmond at that time. Of course, the Justice Center was built new. I mean, we don't like to think about anyone really having to spend any time there, but compared to what they were spending time in and what they have now, we've done a marvelous job in improving the facilities there. And we're looking at opening uh, the Annie Giles Center, uh, which is going to be a career uh, advancement, educational opportunity, and it's going to target providing services for young adults and young uh, teenagers, 15, 16 year olds, the, the group that we tend to not have the right time or recreational and other career development opportunities for. Um, I talked earlier about the open air drug markets, but if we don't give them another choice, that's where they're left. And so we want to continue to work on building those things as well. Yes, yes, yes. Of all, you named a lot, and that's a lot of progress. That's a lot of things that have been done. One of the things that's missing in the 6th District, and it's not just you alone, many of the districts in Richmond share this issue. The 6th District is a food desert. Yeah. And a financial district. Dis yeah. uh, desert. Both deserts. Yes. Finance and food. Yes. Yes. What, what are the future plans to continue to try to bring or attract some change in that area? You know, we've been working extremely hard with the food industry, the developers, and have an ongoing conversation with them as it relates to uh, how can we get, you know, good quality food in, our, in the city, mm -hmm. um, and especially in the 6th District on Southside. Um, I know the guys down there in Manchester has been wanting a grocery store for quite some time. At one time, we were, had a proposal that we were entertaining as it relates to 
putting a small urban grocery store on Hall Street. Um, that has not materialized yet. Uh, we're still working on trying to get that done. One of the challenges that we face, and I am working with uh, Mark Olinger in the planning office as it relates to the zoning, the demand for parking. Grocery stores demand a lot of parking space according to our zoning, okay? We do have a development going in on Hall Street right now that is going to have shared parking space for their residents, but as well as businesses in the area. And a lot of that parking in that parking deck that's being built as a part of the housing development was targeted for the, with the hope that we would be able to provide more parking for grocery stores. So we're still hopeful that that's going to happen in Hall Street, where we'll be able to put a smaller uh, urban style grocery store there. Um, We Holland Park, as you very well know, the demographics of Holland Park and uh, Baden Heights is changing drastically. And as that per capita income increases, uh, many of the grocery stores will look more favorably to that. But if you look at uh, Six Street Marketplace, for example, which is one of the grocery stores that we built in the city of Richmond that was likewise a food desert. Uh, the investment that the city has made in that in order to make the, it work for the, de- for the company to develop that grocery store. But then its location and its proximity to um, I-64 makes a difference because it, it, it lends itself to people being able to come off of the highway and come in and use that grocery store because it's is there. The challenge that we have with the inner city grocery stores now that does not have connectors to the greater uh, traffic, you know, like we had a grocery store at one time on Chamberlain that was doing reasonably well because Chamberlain is such a, you know, throughway. Uh, and and so route it fits into feeds into route one. And so you used to get a lot of traffic and we still do get a lot of traffic there. But when we are tucked into a neighborhood, the per capita income scale has to be exceptionally high. So when you go out to the West End and you can see four grocery stores on each corner, it's because of the per per capita income in that section of the city. So what's the problem is, is the economic diversity, the economic segregation and isolation that we've built into the city of Richmond. And so where neighborhoods in days before may not have been so economically segregated, there was enough, there were more per per capita income to make it possible. But as we concentrated poverty and we put poverty in all one section of the city uh, and we uh, have zoning that doesn't for a long time did not even allow multifamily housing to even take place. So that was such a, um, we created the economic disparity. And when you create that kind of economic disparity, you don't have enough per capita income to support the essential kinds of things. So, you know, Southside, I think Jefferson Davis, which will not be Jefferson Davis much longer, maybe it'll be something else that the citizens decide whether it's Richmond or what name ultimately the citizen choose, but that is a, that's a quarter that has 
a larger volume of traffic, and it's a feeder that not only feeds from Richmond, it feeds from everybody else that travel through the corridor. So those are the, those are the economic factors that, uh, you know, when I'm talking to the to folk in Manchester, they don't want to hear that. They just want to hear, we want a grocery store. We need a grocery store. I know, we need that's, a grocery store. That's the same over here in Highland Park. You know, like <laughs> yeah, everybody I talk to is like, just need a grocery store. And they yeah, don't. Yeah, just need a grocery store. That's all they want. But you know, um, we got to find somebody who will bill it and who are willing to operate it. And uh, so we're working through a lot of those kinds of things. But it, it's most ultimate in some neighborhoods, the neighborhoods where we have deserts, it's gonna require more significant investment on behalf, on behalf of the city. And I think we should do it. I think that's where the equity study is so important to us because we will identify where those disparities are. And it may mean we've got to invest less in neighborhoods that don't need as much, the neighborhoods that just need one box to stand on and invest more in those that have, have to stand on five. Well, unfortunately, we have to wrap. That's our that's our time. I know. Oh Half an hour went. Oh, my goodness. Boom. You all had me all nervous all day long. I knew you were going to just <laughs> nail me to the wall. No, no. My goodness. <laughs> so we don't do that. That's, no, that's that, we say that for Twitter. I know. I've been, say, I've been with you guys before, and I realized that, oh, you guys don't nail me to the wall at all. We don't <laughs> No, that's that's for Twitter time um, in the middle of council. Right now is for you just to educate. Good enough. Public. Good enough. So but, let me uh, let me give you uh, my website so that people absolutely. can get in touch with me and we can have more conversation. So the website is www.robertsonrva6.com and my campaign number is area code 804-508. Four one five seven, and you can email me at robertsonrva6.com. And when you go to the webpage, you'll get all of the other social media, Twitter, and uh, and and other uh, connections of how you can reach me. Okay. All right. There. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us know about your platform and your plans. Good luck in your race. Thank you. Now we're beginning the school board portion of the 6th District Candidate Forum, which I have a lot invested in. I'll, I'll admit this is my district. So I'm excited and I'm excited for our, our guest here who will allow to introduce herself and, you know, talk about a little bit about your background when you introduce yourself. Who's, and Who's also a show repeat. She's probably oh yes, she pretty is. close to her green jacket too. I know, you've been on the show <laughs> <laughs> multiple times too so this is actually really this is a fun forum for us so you can go ahead and introduce yourself and your background yes thank you ladies so very much for having me again in this capacity we have always talked about my ministry of my nonprofit Northside Coalition for Children Inc so um, thank you so very much for sending the invitation for me to talk about why I am the best candidate um, that constituents in the 6th district must vote for, should vote for on November the 3rd. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Shonda Harris Muhammad. I am entering. The I only am, Harris I, Muhammad on the ballot. <laughs> the only Harris Muhammad on the I knew somebody was going to say that. 
but that is true. That is true. It wouldn't be a visit with. with yes, you. it wouldn't be a visit. Um, I actually started my 29th year in public education on July the 1st. And I am very excited. And as we all know, public education is very different right now. The way that it looks, the way that it has maneuvered, and I know we'll have an opportunity to talk about that. I've been in several roles over the past 29 years as an educator. I started as a substitute teacher, and then I moved into being a mathematics teacher. So I do have a mathematics degree. Then I went back to school and learned how to be a curriculum specialist. I served as a special education compliance specialist that just dealt with compliance laws and policy. Um, and, uh, and sometimes I was the one that would be asked to go to the re review boards or the um, compliance meetings when things were out of compliance for children. Um, but I was asked to go on the division side and I somehow always ended up on the parent side. So, <laughs> um, um, and I have served as a um, summer school principal and currently I am loving my role as an assistant principal in a school division that is not Richmond City Public Schools. I've had that question a lot over the past few months. Um, was I working in Richmond Public Schools? And if I was working, how could I run? So I had to explain that um, to people, which is a valid question. Um, I married my college sweetheart and we have two awesome, phenomenal children, one of which decided he would go into public education as well. So, um, and I have a nonprofit, Northside Coalition for Children, Inc. On August the 1st, we had, we hosted, excuse me, our 12th annual citywide, I know, right? Our 12th yeah. annual citywide back to school rally. Um, and it looked very different because you all have been to them in the past. So, you know, we, we have music, we have food, we have lots of stuff going on for our families and our children and teachers. And so this year was very, very condensed due to the concerns of COVID-19. So we didn't have the barbers or the immunizations or the dental screenings, but we did have backpacks filled with virtual school supplies. And what do I mean by that? Chromebook covers, headphones, plenty of index cards, flash drives, um, and then the regular stuff that went into that. So the cost for the backpacks this year went up about 15 to $18, just because flash drives are not cheap. Chromebook covers are not cheap. Um, but those are things that our students needed. I am so excited, so excited. And I shared this with several people that my decision to run for school board was not made until March. I received numerous calls and I would not share their names because they are currently working in Richmond Public Schools and retaliation is real sometimes. Received several calls from principals who have come from different states to work here some a few people gave them my name and number to reach out to me and they called me and we spoke in the winter teachers have called me i have several teachers that live in our community and we would sit on our porch and talk and or stand in the street and talk and they always would get around to shonda we need you to run again and i'm mm -hmm. like mm, 
no, I'm good. You know, I'm focused on other things. You know, I'm, I'm good. And I just want to share with you, and I'm going to roll right into this. My decision to run was not made in March because I sat back as a educator, a classroom teacher. I have classroom experience. And when I heard that over 10,000 students in Richmond Public Schools started the school year, and it probably was more than that, without a laptop or Chromebook, a device, a one-to-one initiative was in place last summer going into a new school year, and over 10,000 students did not have Chromebooks And it was demonstrated and articulated from leadership that due to the pandemic, this is why they don't have them. No, 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 no. It's not because of the pandemic. They don't have the tablets. It is because of poor planning. Every school division in Virginia, give or take three or four days, receive their Title I funds around the same time. It's released around the same time. Richmond Public Schools leadership had adequate time to plan accordingly. Would they have gotten the number exact? No, because give and take, you have kids leave the division, you have kids coming to the division throughout the school year. Mm-hmm. But the, the largest, the bulk of the tablets should have been ordered between August the 1st and October the 1st. Mm-hmm. And then periodically after that, you, you create a process to administer the tablets. Most school divisions know what their roster, what their enrollment is going to be August 15th, 18th, give or take. Mm-hmm. They've already placed their bulk purchase order for their one-to-one initiative August the 1st. And mm-hmm. when they see their numbers increase, they continue to order additional tablets for the students who are mm-hmm. enrolling, right? So that right there put the nail in the coffin for me to run. And what it said to me was, and I'm watching the news and I'm like, are you kidding me? We, the kids been home for three weeks and they don't have tap. What? What put the nail in the coffin for me, ladies, was I know the process as an educator. As a math specialist, I work with Title I budgets every day when I was in Petersburg City Public Schools for seven years. So I know how this process works. My department would speak to the assistant superintendent of instruction or whatever the title is. Mm-hmm. We'll speak with the director of technology. It is my responsibility. It was on my watch mm-hmm. to ensure that every Title I student in Petersburg City Public Schools received a tablet on the secondary level. We had specialists for the elementary level. We all communicated. And in every division, it's norm- normally your population could be your elementary students. So you mm-hmm. start there, you work backwards. That, it didn't upset me, it hurt me. It hurt me mm-hmm. that we had over 10,000 students who were at home for three weeks with no access to technology. Yeah. I don't know if you ladies remember, about seven years ago, Comcast did a um, program for students that were Title I, in other words, if they fit the component of free or reduced lunch, mm-hmm. and Comcast gave them a discounted rate on internet services, and in some situations, free. And a lot of those children received the internet 
services. It was the basic now, you know, you didn't get 400 channels, but they provided because Comcast, they could see down the road. Their leadership could see what was going to happen and what was going to come six years down the road. So that is why I am running for school board. That's one of the reasons why I am running for school board in the sixth district, because experience and knowledge matters. And when you have individuals who have never been inside of a building or have never sat in front of a document that is thick, thick as a book and, you, mm. and you're going through policy, you must have a school board representative that understands policy, how policy is drafted. That's the second reason why I'm running. Richmond Public Schools need a policy committee. The purpose of a policy committee would be to review the policies that are currently in place that have not been reviewed since 2013. These things are critically important to student achievement. So if you have a policy that suspends a student for 10 days because they called a teacher a B, okay, yeah, but we need to investigate why that student is using that language. That may be their common language in their home. So if we suspend them for 10 days, that means they have to be panel in front of a student discipline committee. Mm -hmm. Then the committee decides if they can return to school and they decide if they can return to that same school. Some of our children, you, you all may not be aware, when they are paneled, they could be out of school for anywhere from 45 to 80 days because of the time, the schedule, the time, yep. the, the, the appointment that they're given to discuss the behavior. These are things that are ongoing and they are negatively impacting our black and brown students and some of our Caucasian students who have disabilities. The third reason why I am running, and this is critically important, all of the reasons are important and they tie in together and I'm gonna bring it in for you. Richmond Public Schools must, must request a external human resources audit. In 2014, an internal audit, I said internal, from the State Department of Education demonstrated that Richmond Public Schools Human Resources Department had 32 violations. One of the violations was inappropriate documenting employee files. Let me give you an example of a case that is real. Former employee requested her files of Richmond Public Schools. When she scheduled an appointment to view her personnel file, she realized that the social security number of another employee was in her file. His child support court order was in her file. His, his divorce decree for his insurance was in, his, in her file. And, his, and this is what turned my head like this. A reprimand to him was in her file. And I was like, and so she took pictures of it. And she asked me, what should she do? I said, first thing you need to do is contact the individual and let him know that his stuff is in your file. That's the first thing, because it's decent and in order. And plus, it's in your file. Second, you need to schedule an appointment with the director of human resources. And you need to pull your file and just, just lay it out across the table. Paper and just flip paper, document by document. Take two cameras if you have to. And when she did that, she, her appointment was two weeks later. They tried to clean up what was in her file, but she had already taken pictures. The gentleman who she contacted requested the, the same thing, a meeting 
to go through his file. Somebody else's stuff was in his file. I'm, I'm sharing this with you to say, Richmond Public Schools doesn't cover themselves eloquently. Because when you realize that someone else's information was in another young lady's file, I would have went to his file to clean his file. But they left his file as it was and had somebody else's information in his file. A young lady who had been to drug court, they had suspended her for 10 days because um, she had failed a drug test and she was suspended without pay for 10. All, I mean, this is real. This is real. So during this pandemic, during this pandemic, the narrative of how Richmond Public Schools should move forward has been lost in the sauce of COVID-19. Everybody is talking about what COVID-19 has done, how the lack of comfort has been lost. The normalcy has been gone. But let's talk about the benchmarks of Richmond Public Schools and how they're going to move forward. Every school division had their SOL test waived in the spring. Every school division, which was common sense, a common sense decision. However, now that the bench, those SOLs were waived, how are you going to move forward instructionally? And I want, you, I, want, I want the audience to write this down. As for the benchmark, what is the benchmark of Richmond Public Schools moving forward? Has anyone in leadership articulated that? We're moving kids forward with love. Absolutely. We're moving kids forward with empathy. Absolutely. We're giving them a love pack of virtual learning. Absolutely. But how are we going to get a second grader reading above grade level when the PALS test is now going to be a virtual assessment? Does the parents know it's going to be a virtual assessment? They're not going into the building to take it. The second thing I want the audience to write down is policy of discipline regarding discipline in every RPS school is not the same. It's not the same. And so it, it has to be. If we, if we are talking about equity, then if I call one of you out of your name and you give me two days of in-school suspension and someone else call a teacher out of their name and you give them 10 days pen, pending a panel, they're, okay, what, what's the divide? What's going on here? Same, same type of discipline, but different consequence. And one of the things that our parents do, they talk to each other. Teachers talk to each other. Principals, they have their principal squad. They talk to each other. And so conversations are being had about the inequities that our children and our teachers are facing in Richmond Public Schools. Knowledge and experience does matter. Who I am has brought me to this. I'm an educator. I'm a rape survivor. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. And many people, many people do not know this, but they're going to know it now. I'm an adult who was a child with a severe disability. I suffered with a speech impairment all my life. And I still suffer from that. So I am these children in Richmond Public Schools. I didn't have grandparents that knew that they could ask for an IEP meeting when I was in school because the teacher thought that I was, and I'm going to use the word that she used, retarded, because I couldn't form a sentence. Or I was taking too long to form the sentence. I could the words. I was trying, and you could see me trying, but I couldn't, it took me, took me a minute <laughs> because I had a severe speech impairment. And what, 
what grew me out of that was my grandmother sitting me at the table every day saying, read this crossword puzzle. My grandmother loved crossword puzzles. Read me the letters, read me the letters, now find the letters. And I used to think she was forcing me to find the words for her. But as, as I learned, I said, my grandmother is teaching me how to talk better. She's teaching you, man. She's teaching she you. She's teaching me. Oh, grandma. I know. And for that, I am grateful. And so our students and our certified and classified staff that I'm talking about everybody employed with the Richmond Public Schools, they deserve transparency. They deserve not to be retaliated against when they reach out to advocates to support them, like the Richmond Education Association or the Virginia Education Association. I am a member and have always been a member of the VEA wherever I have worked because it is needed. I always tell teachers and administrators, if you are going to advocate for children, then you better, you better be a part of a union because you would need that support. Policy drives everything. And when your policy is not being reviewed, people can do anything. And so that is Shonda Harris Muhammad running for school board in the sixth district. I am running for the seat that, that needs knowledge and experience to move the division forward and all 24,000 plus students and staff in the division forward. This does not, this type of work does not need someone to learn as they go. Not in a season like this. We're, we're talking about public education is getting ready to lose $81 million across the board. Wh what? What do you mean? That's a whole lot of money. Not just that, it's, I don't think people, and I, I've been talking about this, this has been a thing for me recently, you know, my son, schools have been, a lot of the public schools decided, and I'm glad that Richmond actually decided rather quickly that they were going to do virtual learning or distance learning, but um, some of the school systems were slow about it and they waited to the last minute. And so the private schools decided they, you know, they were going to open up or do different things to give parents that were affluent to afford another option to have another option, right? So that they could have a daytime babysitter, basically, send the kid back to school. And um, it has been a difficult process trying to navigate what to do with your child if you're not sending your child back to school. My baby not going back to school. He's gonna stay at home. Even if I have to homeschool him, he'll stay at home. But I don't think it's really clicked for some folks that if you live in a district that did not or was not, bright or wise enough to have distant learning and you have to keep your child at home because you fear for the safety of your child or your child is a at-home or distant learning student and they're at that critical age of literacy and they need, uh, they have an IET mm -hmm. and it, the school system is not being held accountable Mm -hmm. to provide the necessary services during mm -hmm. this time of new distancing mm -hmm. situations to provide your child with the things that he or she may need while at home and still learning during those critical years of literacy when you're learning to read, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we're looking at a, a, a potential gap year oh. for a lot of our Black and Brown students and, and children in poverty. And I don't think people have really grasped that yet or really understand the impact 
that that can have on, and this isn't just going to be because COVID is worldwide, but what we're talking nationwide, right? Um, with the way that they've been doing the schools, but especially statewide, depending on how you look at it, it affects people for their lifetime um, when you can't read, when you're illiterate. Oh, and, absolutely. You know, the average person doesn't really, you know, you, you learn to do things very differently as an adult who has literacy issues. And Prince Edward County had a major gap. They had several gap years in their education process during board, um, Brown versus Board of Education. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there are adults um, of all age ranges, depending on where you were mm-hmm. at that time, but there are adults uh, still living who didn't go to school for several yeah. years. And it affected mm-hmm. how they cognitively live and learn. And people don't understand. It's real. What, how, what kind of impact that can have depending mm-hmm. on where you are in your mm-hmm. education path and those critical years of literacy where kids are learning to read mm. is mm. so important and if you don't have the right people in the structure and in the mix to figure out and it's not just on school board i mean just mm-hmm. like in the school the right teacher behind the in front of the the, the zoom right or schoolology my mom is, is preparing herself right now you know, to do this thing. And I'm like, mm-hmm. girl, you better retire. There's some go, let it go, go sit down somewhere. <laughs> go sit down. She's like, I help me with the schoolology is killing me. And I'm like, yeah, it's a lot of these teachers that have been teaching for 40 years are struggling right now because- um, It wasn't a part of their style. It wasn't introduced not, to them. It's, no. not a part of, it's not a part of what they've done. And even when they went to grad school, Blackboard, it depending on when they went to grad school, Blackboard, Blackboard was, was not it. on the surface. It right. And so and and it yes. wasn't even in its full component. Yes. You know, now Blackboard yes. is in its full component. It has changed. Schoolology, Google Classroom, mm-hmm. you know, some, some the teachers, and this is why experience and knowledge matters. Because what I can say to teachers who say, Well, I can't do this and um, I'm not used to this and this is not working for me and I've never taught this way. And, you know, I could say, well, you know, there's several webinars that Schoolology has created mm-hmm. that you could actually view that are step by step as, as yeah. a support. When you have someone that is sitting in a, in a seat or in a role with the title of school board that does not have pertinent information that is critically important to make the day-to-day decisions as a governance team, you are stagnant and everything that sounds good is not good. And so that is why, and, and educators who know me, particularly in Richmond public schools know me, that what they see is what they get. And because they know I'm an educator, they also, some of them know that, many of them know that I know when I'm talking to Shonda Harris Muhammad, she knows what I'm talking about. She mm-hmm. knows how to advocate for me. She knows how to mm-hmm. fight for me. I had a teacher who was at John Marshall a couple of years ago who called me. Somebody gave her my number and they told her, Shonda's going to walk you through this. She had, they, they came through and did, they brought the dogs and her room was checked. They did, they did the check on the grounds. Her car was checked. And bam, they got a the dog got a hit. Is what they call it. A dog got a hit. 
So she was placed on administrative leave without pay. No, excuse me, with pay. And I said, you were placed on administrative leave with pay? And she said, yes, I'm getting paid. I said, okay. I said, strike one, problem one. I said, you should be on administrative leave without pay. I said, okay, but we'll come back and talk about that. I said, secondly, here's the process. Do not ask human resources to give you the process. You got to know the process. And fast forward, we talked to it for a couple of days and she was able to resign and get another job. I said, because if you allow them to tell you and run this process for you, you could eventually lose your teaching license based on this. So you need to know the process, darling. You have to know the process. I, I use that example. I'm sharing that with the audience because when our employees do not know where to go, what to pull, and, and the average person, I did not know as a classroom teacher, I didn't know what the policies were. I only knew that because I've served in this role before. So prior knowledge is helpful mm-hmm. in, in this role. And it is needed right now to move Richmond Public Schools forward. I cannot express enough the importance of having a external human resources audit to get their stuff in order. Their house needs to be in order. Two, a policy committee. Their policies need to be reviewed. There are many policies that are not, um, that are not within the realm of educational equity, educational equality, and educational justice. And then the third thing that I started off with was technology. No teacher in 2020 in Richmond Public Schools should be teaching off of a chalkboard. Tell me what's wrong with that. A blackboard. A chalkboard. So we still ordering chalk? Is that what you're telling me? What's wrong with that picture? It might, wrong with fact, that. it might be the fact that the school building that that teacher is in only has chalkboards. That's part two of the series. Okay. Yeah. Well, at that, at that, with that being said, we are actually, we are actually at our time limit, but we want to give you the opportunity to tell people one, how they can connect with you, where they can find you, where they can read more about your, um, your platform. Absolutely. Thank you. I am on all social media, Twitter, Twitter, IG, um, Facebook, um, Shonda, Shonda Harris Muhammad for school board. Um, you can email me at shondafortheth6 at gmail.com and we will respond within 24 hours. Also, you can follow my nonprofit at northsidecoalitionforchildren.com. And if anyone that's listening know a family or a child or a teacher that is in need of school supplies so they can have a successful school year, please give me a call at 804-687-6743 or at my school board candidate email. Ladies, it has truly, it is always an honor. It has been a blessed experience to be with the both of you this evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Very, very welcome. Thank you. And good luck in your race. Thank you. And And vote November the 3rd for Shonda Harris Muhammad for school board, the only educator on the ballot. All right. Oh, oh, she switched it up for me.
All right, welcome to part two of our six district RPS board candidate forum. Woo, we're excited. Yes. What we normally like to do here is have our guests introduce themselves. This is a first timer with us. We just met via Zoom. Yes, so one, welcome to the show. I know this is a probably an odd first way to, to join our show, but we're happy to have you with us today. And, and of course, happy to have you as a a new fresh candidate to, to Richmond politics. So yes, deep breath. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Please give our listeners an introduction to who you are. Well, thank yes. you both, Melissa and Francesca, for inviting me to um, to share in your on your podcast, your platform, and um, for the opportunity to let folks know who I am, why I'm running, and what I bring to the table. The short and sweet is my name is Lynette Plummer. I am and a, up until Valentine's Day, I was the executive assistant to our Attorney General, Mark Herring, and our Chief Deputy Attorney General, Cynthia Hudson. I resigned on um, Valentine's Day and decided to do real estate full-time. Um, I, I am a licensed realtor and um, only did it part-time. Beyond that, I am a product of Richmond Public Schools from Patrick Henry to Franklin. I'm, I'm about to date myself. So yeah, when Franklin was an elementary school to uh, Elkhart Middle and George Wythe High School slash JHW. So I'm a bulldog and a Trojan up in there. I was there during during that, that time frame. I am the proud mother of two children. I have a son, Markel Milan, who lives in Boulder, Colorado, and a daughter, uh, Peyton Melania, who is a rising sophomore at Appomattox Regional Governor's School. Um, she attended Holton for fifth grade and Benford for middle school. We lived in Chesterfield. I lived in Chesterfield County most of my adult life but always loved the city and just decided that um, I wanted to move back. Um, I've always been an active and engaged um, parent and um, supporter um, in my children's education as, as, a, as, as a, a parent. And I've just sort of carried that on. I'm, I'm a, a huge supporter of Richmond Public Schools even um, prior to my child attending. That's, that's the, the short, and, short and sweet of, of you know, my, my background. What motivated you to run? Uh, the motivation for running. What I did not mention is that I am a member of the Richmond Education, the Mayor's Education Compact Committee. And although I have, have followed the goings-on of Richmond Public Schools and, um, and all, once I became a member of the Compact, I took it upon myself to attend the meetings in person and so that I could be even more informed. I was, from the time my daughter started at Benford, I was on the PTA board there. And so I was really sort of plugged in and, and connected. And once that appointment to the compact came about, um, I took it upon myself to, you know, just get even more engaged um, in order to be able to serve on the committee. And so um, in doing so, I kind of looked at where I fell on the issues as, as, as policy was being presented and, and decided that, you know, I, I, I definitely fell in, in a particular zone. And, and what is important to me and what's always been important to me is the equity piece. 
And when it came to my attention that Ms. Cosby was not running for re-election, I just really felt strongly that it was important that we continued policy decisions with that filter, um, which is what I saw in her. And to be really, really transparent and, and frank about it, if she were not, if she were running for re-election, I would not be running for this seat. I just would not. It's not about, for me, one, it's not about me personally. That's first and foremost. It's about the students and the families of Richmond Public Schools. This is not a, a career move. I could be very happy, as, as I probably should be by some folks' um, estimation, trying to build my real estate business so my family and I can continue to eat. But um, it's not in me. I've, I've, I'm, community service is important to me, and it always has been. And so I, um, when, it, when, it, when, when I became aware of that, um, I decided to throw my head in the ring to sort of continue to be able to make policy decisions with a dedicated lens with equity in mind in all of the, the policy making. So that's, that's what prompted me to, to, to get in there. That's so important. I, I just want to lift that up because that is awesome. We um, don't hear that. And I think we've heard that once before, I think maybe earlier in the week in interviews. Someone said, well, I'm, I'm running because I was tapped or asked by the community. Um, and that's a new, that's a new thing. Um, also a new thing. I'm running because the current person I felt like was doing a great job and they're no longer running and they're not running for reelection. And so there was a gap to be filled and I wanted to fill that gap. It's not about me. That is a refreshing look at, <laughs> at, at elections in Richmond. Well, it, 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 is, it, is the it, it is the absolute truth. And I will tell anyone, I am not your traditional politician. And actually, I have to catch myself because in a lot of ways, I find it offensive, although intellectually, I know that I shouldn't because it's not a bad word, but there's so much negativity attached to the word politician. It kind of mm -hmm. makes mm -hmm. me cringe. And when I hear people say, spoken like a true politician. And, and this all is a part of the process in that there right. are certain things that you have to do and that you have to right. say in order to position yourself to affect change. Prior to, uh, and again, I didn't share a whole lot, but prior to my working for the Attorney General, I was a constituent advocate for Senator Mark Warner on the federal level. So again, advocacy is, is, is in me. It's, it's a part of who I am. And um, so I've always sort of been involved in politics to some degree, but it's always behind the scenes. You know, I'm, 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 the, I'm the worker bee that does the stuff for the, for the name on the sign. I'm not comfortable or used to being the name or the face on, on the sign, but rather supporting um, the efforts of those that are um, out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you will probably hear a lot of necessarily not traditionally political perspectives from me because it, it really is not. It, it just That's really refreshing. that enough. This is not about me. And it's not a career move. It, 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 it's just not. It's just not. It, I do what I do. I believe we're here to serve, not just to, for, for us and ours. Um, and I'm here to sort of stand in the gap for, for, for the, the children and the families that, uh, that don't have a me <laughs> in their life, to be perfectly honest. I mean, someone needs to, um, to advocate on, the, 
on the on behalf of those that don't necessarily know how or are unable to or whatever for whatever reason that's that's who I'm here for that's the lens that I want to look look through things and not just just them but when we look out for the least of these we get it done and that covers everybody so if we can cover the least then then the most will definitely be covered. I'll just say it. I like I like the refreshing piece. We hear a lot of the other stuff. I'm happy to hear something else. I am I am just so just being me. Pretty much what you see is what you get. I am not a clickish person. I am not a part of this particular or that I'm just offering myself up as the servant leader that I am and understand that I may very well not be everyone's cup of tea, but I, I truly believe I'm someone's cup of coffee and okay. can, we can, I'm about the work. I want to do the work. This, this pre-stuff, this campaigning stuff is, yeah, it, yep. it, it is. I heard it. I got you. We know. I got you. Okay. We, okay. we understand yeah. that. Theme and right I'm, along, sis. I I'm ready to I got you. do this. You know, and, and get in there and, and do the work. Mm -hmm. I got you. I got you. About the work. This other stuff is, is some extra. I got it. A whole lot extra. <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. I got you. <laughs> so we talked about what made you run. Um, what do you plan to bring to the office that maybe hasn't been there, hasn't been present, or maybe something that you'd like to highlight that you love that was there that you'd like to continue or broaden or add your little sprinkle on top to make it different. What do you plan, how do you plan to, you know, maybe connect differently to teachers, parents, or administration, or expand on programs or things that Felicia was doing, you know? Let's see. To take the, the top of that, first of all, I'd like to, one, keep things positive. I think what I bring is energy and genuine passion for the, the families and the students of Richmond Public Schools. In, in my previous positions, and especially in my most recent one with the Attorney General's Office, I, I supported the AG and the Chief Deputy in pretty much everything that sort of went on through the agency filtered through uh, the Chief Deputy Attorney General. And so there was a lot of relationship management in my responsibility in that capacity. And you have to have a disposition and a genuine desire to work together. Um, you have to be able to create and establish genuine relationships in order to get things done. I, you know, I, I take exception to, to, to people who often refer to the work that they do as I, I, I. You are but one vote and one member on the board. So there mm -hmm. is no I when you're mm -hmm. looking at a board, serving in a board capacity. You have mm -hmm. to have relationship and collaboration skills. There's not one thing that happens that one person can do on its own. And it's established that way on their own. And so I think that's an important piece that, um, that I would bring in that I, I am genuinely seeking to get out of self long enough to do what's necessary to work with everyone else on the board to get the best outcome for the students of RPS. I think there is a lot to do. However, I don't want to paint it as all doom and gloom and, and suggest that there we aren't doing things that 
are good and that are right. We're, we're hitting it out of the park in some areas, especially in this environment, this COVID environment that we're in. Um, we've had to shift, we've had to shift gears and, and shift focus and get out of the traditional way of doing things and, and, and be open and, and choose some different color crayons out of the box so that we can get things done. I think an openness and not a, I know what's best um, perspective is something else that I bring to the table. Again, I'm not, I'm not new to this, but I don't pretend to have all the answers. I, I, I don't, I, and, and I don't think any one person or any one faction does. It, and I th that's probably one of the things I got from working for Senator Warner's office is you have to be willing to be open to and hear suggestions and receive information and perspectives from those other than, than your own. That's how you get things done because you, you can't operate in a vacuum and in a silo. And if you're not open to that, then you won't be very effective as, as a, a leader or as a representative. We got to look at, at doing things. This is a new day and, and we have to look and approach things in a new way. We can't continue to do things the way we used to do or because it's been done that way and expect to get a different outcome on the things that we would like to see changed and the things that we would like to do differently. A lot of people ask me about, you know, about my platform. I didn't come into this with a set platform. I think that's something, it's, it's fluid. It will evolve as I, as I walk through this journey as I get out and actually speak with the members that I'm seeking to serve. I have certainly have some ideas and some opinions and perspectives on things that I would like to see and that I think that would be beneficial across the board to everyone, but they may end up getting, getting you know, tweaked some. Some may end up receiving more information of more energy than others because that's what the, the members of the sixth district have, have deemed important to them. Uh, what are the main needs of the students and families and faculty and, uh, that you have um, identified in the sixth? And um, what do you think can be done to improve the academic lives of the students? I think one of the um, most important things, again, my, my lens and my fil filter is ever through equity. Um, not so much equal, but equity. And I just really feel strongly that we need to put our resources where the need is. Um, and so the, the sixth district is really kind of funky in how it's carved out in it. it, it it's that is the truth. From the Highland, from, from parts of the north side, downtown, even into parts of South Side. And so um, for as many different issues there are or, or positions of what need is, um, exists, um, yeah, it, 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 it's challenging. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. But one of the things that I keep, uh, again, keep hearing is um, a need for resources. I, I think this, this six feeds into maybe, I think, five of the public housing projects in the, the, the city. I think it's five. I could be wrong, but there are a lot. And so the, there are those that may be um, uh, economically challenged. Um, in, in their ability to, to be able to, to be educated the same way as everyone else in the district. 
I think one of the things that we've seen with COVID and with us having to go to a, a totally virtual environment is some of those disparities actually become more apparent. One such example is early on, and it's something that I did when we first, the decision was first made to go virtual, was with the food distribution. There are a lot of people within the 6th District that struggle with not only home housing insecurity, but food insecurity, just some of the most basic, you know, things and needs that those who, who that often are taken for granted. I'll, I'll, I'll say it that way. Um, and so we, we definitely, um, I'm, I was happy to see that, that most recently, this is something that we're gonna, you know, continue going forward. Um, I volunteered from, like I said, from when we first started through, I think, I think I did my last distribution um, in, in May. Interestingly enough, though, I, I went back to my alma mater. I'm, I was raised in Southside in Manchester, right off of Sims Avenue on West 30th Street, on a number street. And um, so I, I did the um, food delivery on the bus um, in, from that community. And we served part of the sixth in that even though it was from from the George Wood building um, down in the hillside area, um, and that that was that was just the best. That that's the fun part, getting out and and meeting people within the community. Um, the other part, um, I did the food preparation, preparing the meals for for distribution at MLK, and and what it did for that experience really, it wasn't so much that I I didn't know. I, fully aware, but it, it solidified what I suspected, that there are needs in the 6th District that some people have, um, just, just don't think about. We, 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 we've got the, the full gamut of both income, education, the, the, whole, the whole nine. Um, and so we, we have to sort of, sort of find um, what, again, what's important. I think some of the basic stuff is really what, what we need to focus on. Um, and, and that basic stuff being um, the, the computer or, or lack of reliable internet access, not just for the students and the families, but even, even the teachers. Yeah, the actual Chromebooks, the hotspots, all of those things, um, again, that really kind of came to the forefront in this, in this COVID environment. Um, and so those are some of the things that I think will will sort of rise to the the top and, and to the level of urgency, sort of a of, of priority, I should say, making sure some of the the, the basic needs are met. And, and going forward, as they're meeting tonight, and I'm and I'm missing, but I'll go back and watch it. The school board meeting that's going on tonight is talking about community pods and um, the oh, child care. Going when we're done. <laughs> they have 20 hour meetings. <laughs> you are so not wrong about that. As one who has closed down several meetings that started at six and ended at 11. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and sometimes we pull double duty and sometimes we're at council and at school board. Yeah, that part. But but you know what? I'm here for it. I am I am so here for it. Do I wish it were that were not the case? Absolutely. But once I'm in, I'm in. I'm I'm in. Um, but but yeah, we we just I, I I think amid all of 
what has been disrupted in our lives and all with, within this COVID environment, I think there are a couple things that are really going to, will, that'll, that'll ultimately be a positive. I think if nothing else, we're going to learn what the word community means. Yes, actually, that's a word right there. Actually means. Because again, the discussion that's going on tonight with these pods and, and all of that, this is a time to go knock on your neighbor's door that you'd really just say hi and bye to, um, you know, when you're coming or going out of getting, you know, out of your home. Now's the time. Oh, you have kids to go such and such a play or whatever. Well, I work this shift, but, you know, I'm an essential employee. I'm not. Now is the time for us to actually figure out and understand what the word community is all about. It's all hands on deck. It's not, I'm going to get mine. Good luck with figuring out what you're going to do for your child care and how your kid is going to be, um, be educated. I think this pandemic, it, on, on one hand, it um, definitely highlights the inequities within the, the district, but it also on, in, in some ways, kind of levels the playing field in that you have to, there's this, the whole social distancing piece and whether or not someone is, is an essential employee and has to work or doesn't have to work. There's the childcare need. Now, the difference is, the difference, I think, is options and choices. That's, that's where the disparities lie in that to some degree, yes, we're all having to deal with the same issues and, and the same problems. We don't all have the same number of options to choose from in order to deal with them. And so, yeah, we're going to have to work together. We're, we're, we're definitely going to have to work together. And um, I think the community engagement piece with RPS has, they've, they've done an excellent job. And I, um, I say jokingly, I think that's probably the, the, the best job in the administration to have. I think Dr. Harris has, has one of the best jobs in that she's able to sort of um, establish and build these relationships to get to, to coordinate the, um, and, and help coordinate the needs of the community and ensure that they're being, um, we're, we're addressing them and, and meeting them as best we can. All right, well, we only have time for one more question. Man. Time goes by fast. Well, you know what? Let me, let me put this out here. Let me, let me put this out here. Yeah. I am very much, I think life's too short to not laugh. So I am very much a, um, a I, I love humor and I tend to find the humor in, in, in any and every situation. And so one of my absolute favorite things and characteristics about a person is someone who has a quick wit. I just totally can appreciate that. So yeah, don't, yeah. We appreciate it very much. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's balance. You, you know, you can be serious when it's time to be serious, but yep. let's not miss the opportunity to um to, uh -huh. to to laugh at not only others but ourselves as well yeah right for each other especially yes. in these yeah especially to enjoy each other in these in these times of you know of, of brave new worlds with covid you know and we can't uh reach out and touch everybody you know Absolutely. it's important that we enjoy each other and as a touchy-feely hands-on kind of person i am truly a hugger I, I had a post on, on my personal page a while ago. Check on your, you know, the introverts are living their check best lives your, right now. Check on your extrovert friends. Yes, yes, because we are not okay. We're not. No, then, I'm out here hurting. <laughs> as sad as it seems, believe me, that is probably, shy of death, one of the worst aspects of COVID is that 
we are so disconnected. And the, the reality that that could very possibly be our new future. I don't want that. I don't, <laughs> I, I, I just don't. I don't want any parts of that. I, I need us to, no. while, while I don't want to go backwards, that that aspect, that whole socially distanced thing, that is so it's killing. It's killing me. It, the I idea of too. that is depressed. Is is depressing, yes. and it so is, yes. we well, need actually, to laugh as often as we can. That's really kind of interesting because I kind of reworked the last question, and you must be psychic. Um, I am. I am. <laughs> My name is Cleo. I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I was going to say, you know, COVID really has yep. changed the world, and especially for students. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have these students um, who relied on school as a relief Absolutely. Um, are now stuck at home and they're stuck in situations, um, a lot of them, that are not ideal. And as a school board member, I mean, you you do a lot of outreach with families and these students. And what are your thoughts on depression in these children or, you know, uh, how to deal with uh, complicated home situations, traumatic yeah. um, that are going I, on right now? I think one of, again, one of the, the positives and one of the, the good, really good um, initiatives that the school board has put forth is the home visits piece. And I think that in this environment, we will, we, will, we will need to be even more mindful of, of that piece. I think one of the other things that is important to me is to put the money, the money behind the wraparound services that so many of our students need. Um, and, and that- The whole child. The, the, the whole child. Look at it from, and in, in just a really holistic uh, view when, when we're talking about caring for our children. My daughter is, as I stated, my son's in Colorado. My daughter is pretty much raised as an only child for, you know, even though she isn't, but the social interaction and the adjustment in this environment for her, it's really been hard. She relies on and really, really needs that, um, that routine, that social engagement that she is not getting now. And so while it may not necessarily be an abusive situation or um, it's a need. And I I think it's one that's often taken for granted because because it's not abusive. You understand what I'm saying? But it's Mm -hmm. still, it has a psychological impact and an emotional impact on our children's well-being and, and their stability. So we have to do the extra. We have to go beyond what we're doing now to ensure that, that we're meeting those needs. And I think one of the ways we do that is we tap into some of the non-traditional resources in the community. Mm-hmm. We, we seek to form collaborations with active and engaged community members that may not necessarily meet your stereotypical partner, community partner, but they are plugged in. They know the needs of the community. They could be a, a, a just a huge resource to the school board, to the administration, um, to, to plug in to what the needs are. So that's one of the ways that I think that in addition to putting the, the funding behind those wraparound services that our students need is, is seeking out some of the, the non-traditional community partners. 
Uh, we, we, we just have to do things different. We're in a different time where things, we're operating differently. And so, yeah, we have to look at attacking and approaching problems and, and resolving uh, concerns and meeting the needs of our, of our students and our families in non-traditional ways. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't claim to, 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 to have all the answers. I, I really don't. I do have some good ideas, but I'm open to, to receiving them and from anywhere, even from our children, getting yeah. them engaged and in, involved in their education. That's, that's key. We're all stakeholders. It, it, it kind of, I've, I've heard a couple, uh, well, not a couple, but I've heard it said that, you know, if you don't, you don't um, have children in the school system, then you, I, I beg to differ. I beg to differ on that. Yes. We're all in this community and we're all stakeholders. And until we look at it from that perspective, we're going to always have schisms and, and, and division. That's, your problem, always that's your short. problem, that's my problem. But guess what? This is our future workforce. This is these are our future teachers. These are your neighbors. And and we should we should seek the best for them regardless. The students who may not be your your um, honor roll students or may not be your National Honor Society students, they deserve a good, high quality education just as much as those who are, they, they, it, it, it's, those that, that have find it are, are behaviorally challenged, it, it, it doesn't matter. They're all entitled to the same high quality education as everyone else and it's up to us to figure out a way to deliver that. And I don't, I, I think an important piece in doing that is getting them engaged. And, and being a part of it. You have to, you, you all but have to. So um, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. <laughs> well, tell, tell our listeners how they can connect with you, how they can find you, websites, uh, social media, etc. You can reach out to me. I had a uh, Facebook campaign page, uh, Lynette for RPS, that's L-Y-N-E-T-T-E, the number four, RPS is the hashtag on Facebook, same on Twitter. Uh, and my web address is Lynette Plummer for School Board. And that is um, spelled out for the number four. Yeah, that's it. Lynette Plummer for School Board. Um, uh, Google me. I'm Googleable now. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Google me, baby. Google me. And on the, on, and on November third. Yes. Hey, These are my key sir. principles: community, collaboration, and compassion. If we stick to those things, I think we could we could um, we could make a difference in this in this community. We just need to operate and and allow and give not only ourselves but each other a hefty measure of grace and and and. We'll be fine. We, we can do things. We, we can do this. Thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful to you meet you. You're welcome. Good luck in your race. We'll be watching. Thank you yes. so much. Listeners, thank you again for tuning in to another COVID edition of RVA Dirt Municipal Mania, heard here every week on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. And all podcast and platforms. Yay! And y'all know what time it is every week. You know, Flint still has dirty water. So does New Jersey. And I'm 
kind of thing for some IT too. So we need to check that out. And RTS was fully funded last year, but we're going to need that and some more money and some more money and some more money. We're going to need the CARE Act, the BEAR Act, the SHARE Act, the FAIR Act, all the acts. All the acts. Call your congressman. <laughs> yes. Call your congressman. Get on that. Or congresswoman. Call them. Okay. Get on all the phone. Them. Call them. We need it. Okay. That's one. And as always, you know it, I know it. We all know it together. Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you next week. Long as I got you, I'm home. Baby, I'm scared, but I'm willing to jump into the distance of the unknown. Long as I got you, I'm home Baby, I'm scared, but I'm willing To jump into the distance of the unknown Long as I got you, I'm home